I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hi, I'm Helen Holliman, editor-in-chief of Munchies. And this week marks the final episode of the first season of the Munchies podcast. I can't believe how quickly it's flown by. And thanks so much to all of the guests that have come on the show thus far. It's been pretty great. But don't freak out. We've got a brand new season coming up in early 2016, so check back in a few weeks. All right, let's get to today's show. This week, becoming an actor isn't easy. Even if you are a working actor, sometimes you're between jobs, waiting for the next role, and you've got to wait tables, bartend, or take a side job. So I sat down with an award-winning actress who has left an unexpected impact on both the culinary and film worlds alike, Mater Joffrey. She's the woman who brought Indian cuisine to the West with her first cookbook, An Invitation to Indian Cooking. But becoming an award-winning cookbook author was never her plan. Mater's first passion, acting, brought her to New York in 1957. She's appeared in such important films as Shakespeare Walla and played a critical role in introducing legendary Indian filmmakers Ismail Merchant and James Ivory. With the ebb and flow of her acting career, she began to cook the Indian food she missed from back home. And when she was an out-of-work actor, she started writing about Indian cuisine and unexpectedly found herself on a pathway to culinary stardom. But for Mater, these paths are not separate. They've been very intertwined throughout her lifetime. I sat down with Mater to hear about how being an out-of-work actor brought her into the culinary world and why for her, cooking and acting are very similar. But before we get into our interview with Mater Joffrey, this show has been supported all season by Squarespace. Start building your website today at squarespace.com and our offer code MUNCHIES at checkout to get 10% off. Squarespace, build a beautiful. So last week, we had Jimmy and Dave from a band called The Darties, who also have a bar called Darty Bar in Williamsburg. Come visit the Vice office and hang out in our lobby to work on their website. Once we have this website, we're, we're global. They'd written some copy for their About page. The Darties are a rock and roll band from New York City formed in 2008. And then I started copy editing the About section. Jimmy came on board as a tambourine player and got promoted to keyboards <laughs> soon thereafter. <laughs> That's true. That's true. I never played music my whole life. I just started going drinking beers with them. You would just come to our practices. Like, and we gave him a tambourine at first. Then we're like, don't play it till the end of the song. <laughs> So Jimmy moved up from tambourine player to one of the main members of the band. So always follow your dreams. Anyway, so we finished the About page. And then Dave spotted a beautiful white piano in the vice lobby. It's definitely something that would have Liberace weeping. And he started to serenade the entire office. We've had a lot of fun and a lot of nachos this season helping Jimmy and Dave build the Darty site. So check out thedarties.com in a couple of weeks when we should finally have this thing up. With Squarespace, sites look professionally designed regardless of skill level. No coding required. It's got intuitive and easy-to-use tools. Get a free domain if you sign up for a year. Start your free trial today at squarespace.com. When you decide to sign up for Squarespace, make sure to use the offer code MUNCHIES to get 10% off your first purchase. 
Squarespace, build it beautiful. Thank you, Jimmy and Dave, for being a part of this show this entire season. All right, let's get into my conversation with Mater Joffrey. So you've published over 15 cookbooks on Indian food over the last 40 years, and you've appeared in over 20 films, and uh, that's no small feat, obviously. (laughs) So not to mention you brought Indian cuisine to the West, and, you know, it's an understatement to say that you've greatly impacted both the arts and the culinary world, but I'd like to go back in time and start with your acting career, which came first. So is it, it's age 19 when you move to London. That's right. And you attend the Royal Academy of Dramatic Arts in a town where at the time the food is terrible. Uh, you know, the kind of classic British cuisine and your mom begins to mail you recipes in the mail. Right. So tell me, how did you feel when you first received these recipes? Well, I was in a very sad situation at that time. I was a drama student, a poor drama student, because at that time it wasn't easy for my parents to send any money. Uh, They could only send rupees, and nobody wanted rupees. They couldn't get foreign exchange. India is a country couldn't get foreign exchange. So I was in England with very little money, just my scholarship money from the Royal Academy of Dramatic Art. And I was living with a family. I had one room and it was quite cold. So I used to sit near the little gas fire and keep myself warm. And I was hungry all the time. And uh, the chocolates were very good in England. So I ate some of those, but that wasn't doing it. So then I started writing letters to my mother and saying, "I please teach me how to cook because everything tastes horrible here, and it did. Um, I was at, at the Royal Academy, and we had a cafeteria upstairs, and we would have to climb stairs, five flights, to go up there. And then what you would get is sort of a see-through slice of roast beef, gray, Potatoes also the same color, cabbage the same color, and I would just dream of India. So I wanted not just Indian food, I wanted my mother's cooking. And I don't know if it was part nostalgia, but it was the taste I missed. And in India, as you know, all foods are very specific. It's to the area you come from, to the family you come from, whether you're in the north and the south and the tropics or in the desert or what. So... I miss the food of my family. And I asked my mother for two or three dishes in particular. And she sent me little air letters with three-line recipes, take a little of this and a little of that. And somehow I realize now that I must have remembered the taste. I must have had a very good palate and a taste memory that even with my mother's very minimal instructions... I was able to recreate and my taste say, no, it doesn't taste quite right and maybe I should do this. Just experiment with the food. And then slowly I learned those three dishes and I made them again and again. But I couldn't make any bread. Bread wasn't one of the dishes I'd asked for. So we, I lived very in, near a very Jewish neighborhood where there were wonderful breads, Polish breads. Um, and I used to get a, a pumpernickel bread 
and eat my Indian food with the pumpernickel bread. Of course, I put on a lot of weight because the first dish I'd asked for was potatoes, and with it I was eating pumpernickel bread. So I was just getting fatter and fatter and fatter. But it was a tasty combination, nonetheless. And so uh, I was in England for two years, two and a half years, and I learned to cook because of a dearth of good. There was no Indian food. There were no Indian restaurants. And uh, I suppose there may have been very good food somewhere, but I couldn't afford it. So I ate fish and chips or I ate the food that my mother had recommended that I cook. So it wasn't really until I came to America and I got married, started cooking, that my repertoire increased. And I would send, ask not just my mother, but my aunts, my sisters, everybody for recipes. And they would all sell the, send them to me. And then very slowly, I just got more and more and more together. And uh, I never thought or dreamt of writing about food. I came to England to start working. My dream was to be another Marlon Brando. I thought he was just so great. And that's what I, who I wanted to imitate in a way or become somebody like him. And I was to, going to the actor's studio. I was taking classes. Uh, I was doing theater for $10 a week off-Broadway. Little jobs like that. But no good thing was coming. And so I had to make money somehow. I had little babies by that time. And... Uh, I somehow could write. My subject was English in college, and I always had the ability to just write. I never thought about that, but I must have had that ability. So I started writing for magazines and newspapers here. And uh, one of them, a magazine called Holiday, I remember said, would you write an article on the food you ate when you were a child in India? And somehow that set something off. And uh, people began asking me for recipes, and so I started putting recipes together. And then I had done a film called Shakespeare Waller, for which I'd won the Best Actress Award in Berlin. And uh, Craig Claiborne decided that he would do an article on, on an actress who likes to cook. And I think it was done as publicity for the film. I think the producer had approached him and said, would you do something on this actress whom nobody knows, but she's a good cook. He must have sold me to Craig Claiborne. And so I did. he did an article on me, and that was like a full page in The Times. So that led to uh, uh, an editor, a freelance editor, approaching me and saying, would you like to do a cookbook? And even though that came to naught, I began to collect recipes and eventually got a publisher whose the company eventually disappeared. Half the the uh, editors were fired and the company became smaller. So then suddenly I had no uh, editor of my own because mine was fired. So I had this book all written and nobody to publish it. And nobody was particularly interested. But a friend of mine said, why don't you give it to Judith Jones at Knopf? So actually he gave it to Judith Jones and she bought it overnight. <laughs> it's 
quite quite a story. Um, I actually want to go back to when you first came to the U.S. And I think this is so interesting that you taught pantomime. Yeah. What did that entail? Well, I was at a summer theater and knew. They didn't, nobody really knew what I could do or couldn't do. And so I came in as sort of like an intern. And they said, what can you do? I said, "Mm, shall I teach pantomime? And they said, sure. (laughs) (laughs) So really, I mean, I did teach some pantomime. But I really learned how to drink whiskey sours. I mean, <laughs> I spent more <laughs> of my time exploring the bar because uh, I really had no work. I was helping with the costumes. I was doing odds and ends. And this was in Winooski, Vermont, uh, where it was actually quite beautiful in the summer. But I was supposedly, my title was teacher of uh, pantomime. And I did some of that, but I was helping with everything. Well, the New York Post said of you, Miss Joffrey can express more with her eyes than a lot of actresses can manage with their whole bodies. So I wonder if the pantomime helped. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, you played a very critical role um, in introducing the legendary filmmakers, um, Ismael Merchant and James Ivory. And your kitchen also played a role in that as well and kind of helping that relationship blossom. Can you kind of explain how that came about? Well, Jim, uh, we met first. And Jim was a young man who had just come from the West, and he wanted to make films. He was interested in India, and he wanted, I think initially he wanted my ex-husband to narrate a film which he did, and then he was making short films. He wasn't. He was only dreaming of big films. He was making shorts, and then he did another film on Delhi. He'd been to Delhi, and uh, he asked me to narrate a part of that, and we became friends. And then his smile merchant came in. He came in as a student to NYU, and he came in with huge dreams. I mean, we had dreams, but nothing like his. He wanted to just take over Radio City Music Hall and, you know, do things there. And no sense of limits in his imagination at all. And we were very all taken with him. And, of course, we felt that uh, my husband and I then, that he and Jim should meet and we could do films together. And actually, we sat together in on in Jim's apartment on the floor and started working because he, uh, Jim said, like, what would you and my ex-husband do when you go back to India? And he said, we'll start a film company, I mean, a theater company. We want to travel in India with our own theater company. And that was the dream. And um, so we started writing this movie together about a touring company with him and me. And, uh, well, then our marriage broke up. And Jim was very annoyed with him, and uh, so. That- Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices 
down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. That came to absolutely nothing. And then he went to India when he was doing the uh, the film on Delhi and he met Ruj Chabala, who was the third partner, the writer partner. And they decided to write a new screenplay, which was going to become Shakespeare Wala, and used uh, a, f- a family of actors called the Kendalls, uh, who were British, a British touring family who were actually already touring India as a family doing Shakespeare. And But then there was no role for me. So Jim said to Ruth, well, you have to write a role for her because she was in our other <laughs> a film that we were going to do. So Ruth wrote the part of the film actress for me. But Ruth knew me because I'd done things with Ruth before. She had translated things and I had done radio plays that were hers before. So I knew Ruth in India. So I knew all three of them. And uh, so Jim said, of course she can play the part of a film star. The Ruth knew me when I was thin, I wore glasses. And uh, anyway, I she didn't think I looked at all like a film star, no way. <laughs> so she said, I don't know if she's right for the part. Jim said, no, you haven't seen her. She's fine, she's fine. So Ruth very reluctantly wrote the part of this fleshy, books, buxom movie star <laughs> thinking she got the wrong actress. He just doesn't know what an Indian film star looks like. And I didn't look like a film star at all. So I came and Ruth uh, sort of hesitantly said, okay, I think she'll she'll do. Because the glasses had gone by this time and I at least didn't wear those. But I still didn't look like a buxom, hourglass-figured movie star. But I could play the part, which she didn't know. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so then uh, we they start. They were filming. I came from New York, and uh, went up to where they were filming in the hills. So in those days, or still today, when you go up to the hills, you go on winding lanes, and you sort of throw up as you go along because it's too sickening to get up to the top of the mountains. So I was throwing up all along the way, and I was looking worse than I ever looked. And I got up there and uh, all the crew looked at me and said, she's playing the movie star. (laughs) (laughs) So it was not a good beginning. But the the first film scene that we actually did, that I filmed, was a scene with Felicity Kendall and me having tea. And I remember the crew got very quiet and they were listening. I thought, I have an audience. I can act. (laughs) Whatever I look like, I can act. So that was very confidence-building because I hadn't done films before, really. I had no sense of how to do films, what was... I knew on the stage what could be true and wonderful, but I had no clue about films. But somehow I worked it out, and the crew worked as an audience for me. So it was quite wonderful, that first day of shooting. I'll never forget it. And sort of 
a little bit before that time, you were starting to host really big dinners at your house for right. members of the Indian community in New York who were in the arts. And it's a really interesting time in New York, too. And tell me about if we could pretend for a moment that we were in your house at well, one of these. Well, these are the 60s, you have to remember. And uh, I have no sense of how to entertain people. I'm just a new wife. Uh, but I'm so enthusiastic about it that I cook for 20, 30 people at a time. And uh, it was very easy for me to cook the dishes I knew again and again. <laughs> like, <laughs> then I would add, every time I learned something, I would add that to it. But I loved entertaining. I loved the, I, I suppose that actors do, because it's like you have an audience this time for your food. Uh, instead of for your what you're doing theatrically or on film, and people would come and they would enjoy the meal, and very often they were they were mo mostly artist friends, so they could be actors. There were a lot of painters we knew at that time, ballet dancers, everyone here who was dancing or acting or singing uh, in the in the sixties would come to our house and it was like an open house in the evenings and and it was really wonderful I haven't done that again in the same way but for I think 10 15 years we lived like that we entertained all the time and what was kind of your go-to what would you make typically I I had learned how to make rice and I'd learned how to make sort of Indian beans dal and I could make several vegetables I could make chicken uh, I could make lamb. So that I, I wasn't very good on fish. I wasn't very good on breads. But rice was all right for a lot of people, and that I did all the time. So it became, and then I would improvise and put in something Western and something Eastern and mix things up. Uh, so I made a lot of salady things, yogurty things that I that were half Eastern, half Western. But I could entertain people with whatever food I had uh, in the house. And they all seemed to love it. It didn't seem to matter if it was highly successful from my point of view, the food, or not. They just loved it. So I thought, well, this is an easy way to get applause. <laughs> <laughs> like it's so, yeah, it's, it's an interesting how it, yeah, you're right. It is, there is that overlap with acting in it that way. It certainly is. You're performing, you're, you're cooking to have everybody say that's wonderful which is what you're doing when you're acting too if nobody said that you stop probably <laughs> <laughs> well so when an invitation to indian cookery comes out in 1973 your first cookbook what is going through your mind when it comes out well first of all judith i think bought it in 69 and she said, how long do you think you'll take? I said, to write the recipes down? Three months? How long? <laughs> I had no idea. Because I had not known how to cook when I started. I thought nobody else is going to know these dishes, so I must explain them like I needed my mother to explain them to me. Uh, I want to know all those details because people haven't cooked these things before. So I wrote in great detail... So I I think I don't know what your question was actually. Just you know you know it's especially because at the time you probably didn't set out initially in your career to sort of 
fall into cookbooks, but Not you did. Not at all. I, I always say that I've been hijacked into the world of cooking. There was no plan. <laughs> this was not a career. This was just something I did for fun and then to make some money. And strangely enough, then the acting jobs which weren't coming in the beginning because all they would cast me was as an Indian. And how many parts for Indians were there then? Like one every three years and a small stupid part? Not worth anything. Uh, there was not great knowledge about India. It was just the whole Middle East, India, all merged into one for most people. So the parts I got always involved camels and dancing girls and, you know, just people's vague idea of India and not India, not the real India at all. I think it's happening much more now. And my daughter, who's also an actress, she's getting more of the parts that are real parts than I was getting. She's great on House of Cards, by the yeah, way. Yeah, she is <laughs> great on House of Cards. <laughs> so life has a really funny way of changing our paths for us sometimes. And I think oftentimes when we all look back at our own paths, we see these little breadcrumbs that connect things. And for you, you are a rare figure because you're both an award-winning actress and an award-winning cookbook author. And sort of looking at this duality in your life, what do you make of it? And what advice can you give to creative people out there like yourself who are sort of starting on their own path? Well, I turned from one to the other because I wasn't getting enough work. And I think the ability to turn on a dime and be flexible is important because you can plan your life a certain way, but it may not happen that way or there may be a tragedy and you may have to go another way. I think it's good to have that flexibility in you or have the, know that the possibility of that flexibility is there. So if you need to change, you can change. On the other hand, if you're determined in one field, there's nothing like that determination, single-minded determination, but also be aware of opportunities because people don't take opportunities that are there all the time. And you may not win on that opportunity. You may not get what you're aiming for, but they're there. And just to be aware of what is around you and say, okay, I can try this. Let me see. It may go somewhere. So I've learned a little from Ismail Merchant, who was incredible this way, that he always had 20 projects in the air. What would actually happen, we never quite knew. And all of us were waiting. Am I doing this film or am I not doing this film? And he, you wouldn't know. You would just be waiting till the last day. I remember one example of when I, we, we were doing this film, Autobiography of a Princess, with I was just the two characters, basically, myself and James Mason. And he had floated this in the air. And I thought, Ismail, tell me when it's really going to happen because I don't want to be waiting for, for this and then it doesn't happen and I'll have a heart attack. So just... Let me know only when it's done. He said, no, 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 next week, we will do it, next month. And I just put it away. The script was there, I just put it away. I said, I'm not going to look at it because I'm going to, it will be painful if it never gets done. And so this went on for years, nothing, nothing happening. And then one day he suddenly says, we're going to London next week. 
and I hadn't learned my part. <laughs> and James Mason came on the set with his part learnt. I thought, this is really bad. <laughs> <laughs> so then I quickly learnt it, but it's uh, it's just it's be, be ready, be prepared, want to do the things, and just think anything can happen, and good things. Don't just think bad things will happen. Good things will happen if you think positively. I'm for positive thinking, not giving up, keep going, but also be able to turn on a dime. <laughs> That's really good advice. You are, you've just come out with a cookbook and you're already working on more cookbooks. How many more cookbooks do you want to write? <laughs> just never It's ending. not a question of want to write. <laughs> it's a question of will write because I can't sit around doing nothing. And my head is full of 20 ideas all the time learned, as I said, from Ismail Merchant. I always have 20 ideas. If this doesn't work, this will work. And uh, there's so many things I want to do. And I think travel for me is the best form of education. I just love, I learn so much. I just did an article on Crete, just going there and being there, uh, going into the sea, just seeing the fish going to the museums. It's always an excuse to write an article, but it's an excuse that makes me learn. And I love that. I love the research. I love the that aspect of writing. I don't like actually sitting down to write, but I love doing the research for it. And it just opens up another world. And as you travel, which I hope to do till the very end, you just keep learning. Well, congratulations on your new cookbook. Thank you. And thank you so much for coming in. And you're a living legend. So it's it's been a pleasure. Thank you. <laughs> thank you. That's our last episode of the first season of the Munchies podcast. Thanks so much to Mater Joffrey for coming on the show. If you want to learn more about Mater and check out all of her amazing recipes and cookbooks and everything, visit mater-joffrey.com. Thanks so much to all of you who've tuned in this season. We've definitely gone on a journey together. And make sure to check back after the new year once we launch our brand new season. We're really excited about it. Thanks so much to my amazing podcast producer, Damiano Marchetti. Without him, this show would be nothing. Thanks so much to Squarespace. Thanks so much to the Darties. And thanks so much to you. Until then, check out more on munchies.tv. We're on Instagram and Twitter with a simple at munchies and Facebook too. I'm Helen Holliman. I'll see y'all soon. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinarian developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health 
right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. When it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com.